Hey, wait, did I start? Wait, go live. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is June the 18th. 2021 strong hand long-term thinking bitcoin is the next bitcoin one bitcoin equals one bitcoin i am offended by selling one day closer to an all-time high all right hello my elite friends do you have questions we will have answers for you so you can ask us questions we got some people who haven't been on the show before and a dude that's been on the show before dennis porter welcome to the show justin siegel he makes his debut and uh Hoddleberry, he's here again he's back. back and all these dudes were at the uh, bitcoin conference with me in miami so we will we will talk about this uh great uh event and the the fud that surrounded it but we are now living in a time well back in the day i have been in this space as you guys know uh since uh, 2013 i bought my first two bitcoin then so that's that's why i had skin in the game and back in 2014, 15, 13, whatever, people would dream of, of the mainstream media just having one story about Bitcoin. And it would be it would be awesome. Oh well, they mentioned or when are they gonna mention Bitcoin? Now, what this week in Bitcoin has taught me is that Bitcoin and the mainstream media are now intertwined. They have a narrative about it. They're not many in the mainstream media just blindly go with, you know, it's killing the environment. Um, the corrupt nations are using it. Uh, just the mindless FUD. It, uh, it should be regulated. This superstar is talking about it. That superstar is talking about it. So we should believe whatever that superstar says. So we are the, it's the complete opposite of the way it used to be. Um, so in a way we dreamed of this day, but we, we have to, I just put it out there for everyone watching this show. You got to get used to it. The mainstream media is they're not smart. They're going to say very confusing things about Bitcoin. They will be wrong most of the time. They have a narrative to sell that uh, revolves around fear. So with all of that in mind, um, El we're going to start with El Salvador. We're going to talk about the FUD that is surrounding El Salvador, and some of it is coming from uh, the, the Bitcoin space itself. But link to below is a uh, video from Steve Hankey who is a professor at Johns Hopkins. I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. I'm actually here for a few more days before I uh, go out on the road again. I'm rarely in Baltimore. but um, And he said that uh, the reason that El Salvador is uh, using Bitcoin as uh, legal tender, it's all about dark forces. I mean, this is a professor. A prof and of course, he's quoted in all sorts of places now, uh, you know, talking about the dark forces and Bitcoin in El Salvador. But we also, <laughs> I know it's sad. So he's, he's trying to tie it that the El Salvador government is so corrupt. They're involved with uh, drug dealers and all sorts of illegal activity and money laundering. And thus, this is the, the government wants to make it easier for those people to flourish. Okay, that, that's his thing. That's his dark forces. But we on the other side of the spectrum, in the, in the Bitcoin space, uh, we have Jerry Brito who says El Salvador's Bitcoin law is a disgrace. As written in statute, it forces citizens to accept Bitcoins whether they want to or not. This is intuitively wrong 
to any liberal. Now, I, I got to say, there's there's a little bit of a point there. I, I'll share my opinion a little later, but we'll start with Hoddleberry. What's your take on all this? Yeah, it's so funny. It's like we've gone from Bitcoin be going is was going to be illegal. The nation states were going to make it illegal to making them you have to take it. And for some reason, Coin Center doesn't like that. Um, it's kind of like losing the forest for the trees in, in this way. I mean, as a person who's liberty minded, I don't want any kind of laws about anything at all for any reason. Um, <clears throat> but you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna force something like if you're gonna force liberty on somebody, like that's like the one thing to possibly force. So, and it's kind of weird where it's coming from. So Brito is from Coin Center. He's the executive director, I think, of, of the center. And, you know, they're a think tank and a pop, like they go with public policy, um, influencing trying uh, elected officials. And I think they've spoken before Congress and stuff like that. And they are the type of, of advocacy group that like if you look in their their bio in the in in, in the uh, on their website, it's like common sense, you know, like common sense gun laws and like common sense cryptocurrency regulations. And the it, the the fact is though, a lot of people that are funding them and backing them are people who have businesses based around the regulatory moats that exist. So you have digital currency group. You have um, I can't even think off the top of my head. I should look that up. But but several companies that are are in New York specifically that are benefiting from the bit license. And what I'd like to see is Coin Center continue to advocate for complete, 100% complete open, not like work together with lawmakers to, to make laws about Bitcoin. Just like if you're gonna make any kind of laws, it's the law is there's no law. Or the law is if there's fraud involved, then that, you know I, I can understand that. But like, Jack Mahler's just basically circumvented the whole uh, legislative process, circumvented the whole, um, you know, let's talk to these Congress people behind, you know, behind closed doors and behind the scenes and just like went and did it. And now it's law. I, 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 I can't understand why they're so upset about it um, when they're pretty much doing the same type of thing with their advocacy. I, I don't I don't get it. Uh, and what do you think about the dark forces uh, comparison here? <laughs> oh, for, for Hanky? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he's he's just a, a he's. I put him in the same category as Peter Schiff. It, you basically have some of these Austrians who were gold bugs or gold proponents from the '80s and '90s, and they were right. Like the gold bugs were right, but then Bitcoin scooped, swooped in at the last second and just kind of took the wind out of their sails and just did what gold could never do because it was confiscatable and because it was, you know, held by the, the elites. So what's going to, yeah, he, he's just salty because he, he would have been right all this whole time, but then Bitcoin just usurped it. So he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. There's, there's a few people that fit into that category. They got Bitcoin is living gold's dream. Pound that like button. All right, Justin, your take. All right. So I think it is exciting that uh, El Salvador has chosen to adopt Bitcoin. And unfortunately, the nature of legal tender laws is what's causing the issues here, right? Like in the United States, the legal tender law 
makes us use the US dollar both in receiving and payments. Like that's just kind of the nature of legal tender laws. And I don't agree with them, but El Salvador signing it into law, I mean, what else would you expect from this, right? I mean, there is a there is a clause that lets people who don't have the the capabilities to to opt out of Bitcoin. And, you know, we'll see how the language develops in the next 90 days before it's implemented. But uh, in terms of Steve Hankey, um, I heard him (laughs) on an interview talking about um, how he can solve the problem of cryptocurrency by using a currency board, which he's been the head of many currency boards for small economies that have struggled with their local currency. And this seems to be another power play from, you know, a, an elite academic. And um, I think his big issue is just that Bitcoin is a product of the free market and he just wants to come in and, uh, you know, control it. But I think um, what I'm looking for in El Salvador is two things. I think number one is this can either go really well or really poorly. And it's going to be interesting to see how El Salvador develops in the next, you know, year, five years, 10 years. And I'm hoping for a great success. And the other thing I'm looking at is um, their reliance on strike. So, um, you know, it's all great that they're using Bitcoin and they're using the Lightning Network and everything's voluntary. But in terms of moving from Bitcoins to dollars and back, I think there is a challenge there. And they're very reliant on strike, number one. And they're very reliant on tether, number two. So if either of those bridges breaks down, um, they may be in a tough situation. So I think, uh, you know, the pushback isn't all FUD. Obviously, the way it's being presented is kind of fuddy, but um, I think there are real issues in terms of people being able to convert back and forth that, you know, require some eyeballs moving fo- moving forward. Ja, th- th- that was a great point about uh, relying on strike, especially. Uh, I, I think Tether, uh, I'm not worried about Tether, okay? And, well, famous last words, but I don't care about Tether because I <laughs> I value my wealth in Bitcoin. Hey, but the strike thing is a little bit, it's a lot newer than Tether. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't have the uh, track record at, at all. And I know some people worship Jack Mallers and everything. Don't put anyone on a pedestal, dudes. Um, but you, excellent point. It, it does seem this whole project, El Salvadoran project, seems to rely on strike a, a lot. So a very valid a criticism on, on your part there. So let's, let's fair and balanced here, baby. All right, Dennis, your time turn to, to make your debut here. Rip it apart, baby. What's, what's up with all this? No, I thought what, uh, what Justin Hoddleberry said, both of them said was, you know, was excellent. All the points across the board, I pretty much agree with. Uh, I, you know, it's so new what's going on in El Salvador. So we just kind of have to wait and see. I, I, I like, obviously, as a Bitcoiner, when there's more things being done with Bitcoin, I think that this president, President Bukele, he, you know, he's a progressive and he's a he's fighting for change in his country. But at the same time, you know, he is kind of doing things in a sort of authoritarian way. And uh, I think that that's, you know, something to be to be cautioned by. My parents have lived there in El Salvador for years now. And so 
uh, they've seen some of the things that he's done. And I asked my parents, like, you know, what do you, you know, people are calling this guy a dictator. What is, what's your opinion? And their, their statements were that he acts like a dictator at times, um, but he hasn't necessarily done anything in particular that's like, oh shit, oh, excuse my language, but you know, he hasn't done anything in particular that, uh, that uh, uh, makes them think, okay, this is like really bad. We're going down a really bad path now, but he has, you know, pulled military people into the, into the legislative body to basically force a vote on stuff. So he's not all good. He's not all like perfect, but at the same time, I, I like the direction we're headed and hopefully we can just make an improvements from here. So are, I, you, are your parents down there now? Um, they are up here visiting right now, technically. But they live, they, your parents live in El Salvador. Yeah, they've known Mike Peterson for years. Wow. Yeah, I, he's That's the how Bitcoin I got him on the show. I, I got him on my show recently because of that. Yeah, I had him on a year ago. The Bitcoin Beach dude, I had him on. Uh, yeah, he's great. I was one of the first ever a year ago. Yeah, he's inside, amazing. Huh? Inside information here, dudes. Remember that. Um, wow. Well, that that is awesome that your your <laughs> your your parents are. Yeah, that's they live in the, yeah, they live in San Salvador. We're just outside of San Salvador. They are, they do mission work there. Straight for and so yeah, I thought he was involved with a mission group too at one point, wasn't he? Or mm -hmm. yeah, well, I mean he originally was helping with just some random mission work stuff and then he had the idea to help people with Bitcoin and then um he was approached by like a really large whale uh who and who said, you know, show me some sort of plan and they put something together and that's basically how it all started. Wow, this is uh, a straight from the freaking horse's mouth. I like I like I like this insider information. All right, so yeah, we will we'll see how that progresses. Uh, I, I I just I think it's great. At least one country is experimenting with it. Maybe it will spark something. Oh, and what do you think about the dark forces? A any comment on dark forces? And, uh, I don't even know. Like I don't know what that even means. Like it just <laughs> it's like what are you talking about, dude? Well, it's it's headline grabbing. It'll get it'll get get you the rich yeah piece. dark That's forces. The Ooh, watch yeah. out. It's, yeah. they're, it's actually orange forces because what people, <laughs> I mean, it's really easy to figure out what they're trying to do. They're trying to get a country to become le make legal tender Bitcoin so that it's treated like a forex or for like a foreign you know a foreign exchange currency and therefore not taxed for capital gains. So it is like a Trojan horse kind of in a way. I, I think that was that's it's not the reason why they made it legal tender wasn't because like we want to force people to use this currency that nobody wants to use. It wasn't for the people of El Salvador. It's for everybody else in the world. That's why it was actually done. This was the this was the Trojan horse. So, and, and yeah. real quick about um, Justin about your uh, your idea about or not Justin. Um, sorry, Dennis. Dennis. Um, <clears throat> about uh, like dictatorships and stuff like that. Like the further down the liberty bit hole, uh, uh, rabbit hole I go, the less I'm happy with dem democracy as such. Yeah. People say like, oh, he's a dictator. Well, like a benevolent dictator or a benevolent monarch or benevolent whoever is so much better to me than than like a democracy in which everybody votes that they we're going to inflate our money away forever. So, yeah. So no, I, I tweeted that out. I said something like, um, you know, uh, a move in the right direction by a dictator is still a move in the right direction. Yeah. And, and, and that's I think that just getting into a larger conversation about like democracy, about, you know, voting in the United States. And it's like everybody's like, Democ we got to protect democracy. We got to defend democracy. Well, like if democracy is everybody stealing from me, you know, you read Bastiat's The Law, like lots of different people use the law to their own ends. And whether it's the mob, whether it's a king, whether it's a particular uh, interest group. And so like this is so much better than the alternative, which is just inflating our money away to infinity. 
we're getting we're getting into a deeper uh, uh, conversation here because again, people love to throw around that word democracy and the United States. Our lead, the, the founding fathers knew that people would eventually vote to steal from each other. That's why it was a, a constitutional republic. But we've got these impulsive people that want to throw that completely out the window. So 50% of the people can – or 51% of the people can vote to enslave 49% of the people. That's uh, that's what uh, the constitutional republic was to, uh, supposed to avoid. But people want to want to go down that route. And uh, – but the, again, a, a topic uh, – Definitely a, a, a topic for another another day. And I do want to say, Justin, you've definitely done your research on Hanky. His uh, currency board thing, yeah, that that is his thing. I've been following that dude for a while. Currency board, currency board, dollarization, dollarization, dollarization. So when it doesn't fit that that scope of things, it, it blows his freaking mind with, with, with this Bitcoin. And, he, and he's talking – he's a professor. He's talking about dark forces like he's a witch doctor or something like that. It's It's – it's pretty embarrassing for Johns Hopkins when, when you've got a guy speaking like that. But eh, the media picks it up. All right. Anything else about El Salvador you guys want to share before we uh, move on to inflation here? No, just so they're, they're going to be the richest country in South America or Central America. So. Uh, well, wait, 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 real quick around. Uh, do you think it will be a success? Ha yeah. Hoddle. Yep. Okay. Dennis. Yeah. Justin. Yes. All right. We, we shall see, baby. I, I wish them all the luck in the world. Um, and I really wish that they uh, they would put all their reserve or uh, have some of their reserves in Bitcoin. That That's a that's a bigger step in, in my well, opinion. Well, I think they are doing that to some what? extent. They're, like a part of their, they're putting their trust. They're doing like a trust. It's like 150 or $200 million over time that they're going to use to buy Bitcoin. That's what he said. But yeah. I, I, I believe we'll it see. when I see it, baby. Yeah. I believe it when I Show see it. Show me the receipts. It. Show yeah, show me the freaking money, the real money. Because Bitcoin's the real money. Pound that exactly. Like. Show, show me your freaking wallet that you really did it. Um, but it was once one country does it, they're all going to follow. Uh, it's, it, it should be in the uh, reserves of a, the countries that put it in the reserves. They will be the richest countries, uh, no doubt about it. So let's uh, let's just talk about. Uh, eh, we'll, we we're, we're talking about putting people on pedestals. So I, I'm going to bring up this uh, topic here. Play stupid games, uh, win stupid prizes. Uh, Mark uh, Cuban calls for stable coin regulation in wake of Iron Finance bank run. All right, so he bought some something called Iron Finance. Or I, I don't even know what this freaking altcoin thing is that he bought, okay? But it went to zero. Everybody thinks he's a genius. For weeks upon weeks, people have been quoting him about how Ethereum is better than Bitcoin, and this is better than Bitcoin, and he's all knowledgeable. And, and look at this rookie freaking mistake this dude did. And and what's his – and, you know, instead of saying sorry or whatever, he's calling for the government to, to regulate. So this is something we're going to have to get used to again. Big names who get eggs on their face, they, they try to twist it around and say, oh, we need more regulation, okay? So before you put these big names on pedestals, whether it be Elon Musk or Mark Cuban, in the end of the day, they're statist and they're calling for regulation and, and – and, they're, I wouldn't say they're the biggest allies of, of Bitcoin, but to, to put it nicely. So, uh, Justin, did you have any, any thoughts on, uh, on Mark Cuban and his uh, crazy altcoin event and calling for the government, a prominent person like him call, calling for government regulation? I mean, to me, <laughs> Mark Cuban's kind of like that, that friend's dad you had in high school who was trying to be like super hip, but uh, went about it the, the wrong way. You know, he's Remember those Ed Hardy t-shirts and jeans and like, you know, he's 
rolling around in his new sports car and he just crashed it. But um, it's kind of funny to see him go from uh, bananas are more valuable than Bitcoin uh, to head first into NFTs and DeFi or whatever. And uh, yeah, he got rug pulled like a lot of people have. And uh, he's got a loud voice and obviously he's calling for, you know, more regulatory uh, surveillance, of course. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's just got a poor understanding of the space, a poor understanding of what he owns, and he got burned for it. Dude, that comparison to the dad trying to be cool, that, that's a really good one there. That Very good on your part. Uh, Dennis, you, you, your take on uh, Mark Cuban. Yeah, I almost forgot about the banana thing, dude. That thing is – this guy has been just wrong for so long in so many ways. I mean, even if you go back and look at how he became a billionaire, he basically created a, a shit company, and then he went on to uh, to sell that company during the dot-com boom and actually get something out of it. But that's a de that company is a defunct now. So he, he, he made money off of something that's a defunct company, and he's actually lost his, his overall wealth has actually dropped ever since then. So he's been losing money ever since he became a billionaire, which, you know, whatever, right? He's a billionaire, but he can probably spend as much money as he wants. But it's like the dude's on Shark Tank acting like he's some sort of like hardcore investor who understands markets and he very clearly does not. And so trying to take advice from Mark Cuban is probably the last place that you'd want to get advice on anything from when it comes to investing your money or when it comes to cryptocurrency in general, just because the dude's totally clueless. <laughs> Don't put these dudes on pedestals. It's your latest. What do you think about the regulation that these billionaires call for yeah. regulation? I mean, <clears throat> it's just to be expected. They live in a world where they're used to their hand getting held and the government coming in and saving them. And that's just the actual opposite of what Bitcoin is. So, I mean, I assume that he's going to continue to to you know fan the flames for more regulation but um you know that's that's why another reason to show just that this guy doesn't know what he's talking about and really you just need to not be putting him up on a pedestal at all i would just encourage people just to think of him the same way you think of elizabeth warren who also uh, wants uh regulation uh, they're very similar in the uh, that manner uh, uh, apparently all right so let's uh <laughs> Hoddleberry, I'm sure you'll have something to say about this. Uh, with the, uh, a, a rich man like this calling for uh, regulation and uh, his his ignorant mistake he made getting into this altcoin. Yeah, I mean, is is um, is theft not illegal? Like, I, I don't understand. It's like, like was there fraud involved and was there theft? And if there's fraud or theft, then that's already illegal. Like that that is, we already have laws and regulations that prevent that type of thing from happening. So there doesn't need to be you know, like I hate regulation that's like pre-crime or like pre like thought crime or, you know, uh, you need to do this to make sure that something else doesn't happen. Like I like I love the idea of prosecuting things after the fact, like here's here's potential risks. And if you run afoul of those and if you are held liable, then you get sued. Like and that's all that there is to it. There shouldn't be, you know, massive government uh, bureaucracies created in order to manage these things just if they. If they did something they said they weren't going to do and stole people's money or were incompetent, they can get sued. And then that's the end of that. Like, yeah. that should it's, be that should be the thing. It's uh, you know, such a good, solid point by you that people just forget the basics of, you know, commit the crime. It, 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 people see you get told if you get noticed. They, they come in the rescue. They do so. what we have now. You know, the New York attorney general, she goes looking for crimes. 
She goes looking for crimes to go to, to prosecute and stuff, Make, making up crimes, looking to take down political opponents and take down uh, industry she doesn't like. That, that's uh, the, the proactive uh, prosecution is uh, disgusting on, on that level. That just what you just said reminded me of that. So, uh, but okay, we'll we'll leave Mark Cuban in the dustbin of history. Hopefully, I'm sure he's good at marketing, so he'll find his way back in, and some people will love him again. Maybe he'll say Bitcoin's awesome. Who cares? Don't 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 get all happy, people, when he says it's awesome. Just remember, uh, remember this day and teach it to your children. All right, now we will move on to inflation. And uh, Adam uh, Hoddleberry, you like to talk about uh, in inflation. I want to read a uh, quote about the Fed here. Uh, the the Fed balance sheet has crossed eight trillion dollars. Um, uh, we've got a turn of Meester says fifty dollars for a coffee, oil at five hundred dollars a barrel, five million dollar median median house price. We could see it in our lifetimes. Yeah, actually, I mean, if you would have told me a few years ago five million dollar uh, median median house price housing price, I would have laughed. But uh, yeah, we, we really could see that in our lifetime. Houses, uh, normal. Because now, you know, in certain places, the suburbs of Baltimore, the suburbs of Philadelphia, you know, a million-dollar house, whatever. million-dollar house is normal. So why why not why not $5 million? And what, what, what people are forgetting here, um, the, the, the Fed made an announcement. Well, I don't know what day it was, Wednesday. They're not raising rates. They have, like, they, they fudge their inflation targets to say, you know, it's it's – okay to have a higher inflation rate again it's it's what i've been predicting for a while happyflation is is on on the way and uh yeah i it's to me it's very predictable that this is going to happen and that the mainstream media will eat it up will not question it at all and we'll just call it happyflation and uh at the same time they will vilify bitcoin for destroying the environment so, Adam, uh, take it away. Your latest take on uh, – or Hoddleberry, whatever. <laughs> your latest take right. on uh, w inflation coming to the United States and the Fed's latest moves or non-moves, really. No. Yeah. So most people know my name's Adam, so that's fine. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not that synonymous. <clears throat> but, yeah, so, <laughs> so the interest rates being changed was effectively – our foot was already on the gas of the money printer, go burr, and, and they just said we're not going to change the printing – money printer go burr like we're just gonna we're keeping the pedal to the metal it's almost all the way to the metal and you think like zero percent is not pedal to the metal it's negative inflation rates or negative interest rates would be even you know just rocket boosters on the back of the of the bus so um infl like the more i get into austrian economics the more i get into bitcoin the more i just think about the way the economy works like inflation is just so wrong it's just so evil it's just so terrible and it ruins wealth it ruins it, it does nothing for wealth and it is a net negative on wealth like we need to live in a def like jeff booth's book like we need to live in a deflationary environment where over time technology and human knowledge that we gain from the world gets put into the public sphere such that it is so trivial for somebody to build their own house for them to you know, uh, the Bible talks about somebody someday in the future, people will build their own houses and plant vineyards. And they're the only ones who are going to need to eat of it because like wealth and abundance is just so incredibly prolific that that's the type of world that we live in. So the the Federal Reserve continuing its monetary inflationary policies is just it, like you think rate change, no rate change. We're going to continue evil like that's just. 
That's how I'm reading that now. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that's put it, it, yeah, inflation is the, it's the worst on the poor too, man. Um, it's, it's, it's bad, uh, but hey, it's happyflation nowadays, so they say. So uh, let, let's go to it, Dennis, on inflation and the, the Fed, it, latest non-move. Yeah, I mean, it's, inflation has been a big problem for ever since money has existed. Um, I always say for 10,000 years, uh, we humans have been using money as a technology. And for 10,000 years, those in power have been corrupting that money. Um, it's 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 near, near and close to some of the worst uh, tragedies in human history. Uh, you can look at the uh, transatlantic slave trade and the way that it was accelerated happened part and part because of the debasement of the currency. Um, same thing with the rise of Hitler and Nazism in, in Germany because of the Weimar Republic deciding to print their currency to infinity. Uh, you also have... Um, the collapse of Rome as well occurring part and part because of the way that they treated their currency. So to me, it's just like, how much longer are we going to keep doing this over and over and over again and act like we're doing something totally different? It's theft. You're stealing from people and you're absolutely destroying civilization at the same time. And it's just funny to me that these people in power somehow think that they're doing something magically different um, this time around. It's not different. You're stealing from your people and it needs to stop. Um, I don't think that they will though. I think that they're, unfortunately the situation that we're in right now is we're kind of trapped with the amount of debt that we're in. If we raise rates, um, we won't be able to pay our own debts. So we're in this situation where we're gonna have to continue to head down this horrible path that we're on and hope that uh, hope the whole thing doesn't explode before we are able to switch over to Bitcoin. Uh, the, the government leaders in the United States that have become prominently uh, outspoken against Bitcoin, uh, one jumps to mind, Elizabeth Warren. Does she get all this? Is she just doing this all for power? Because, uh, you know, by, by, this, by wanting to get rid of Bitcoin, by saying it's for horrible people, uh, she's, she's, she's hurting the people she claims she's helping. And she, she, she's an inflationist, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Elizabeth Warren is... I. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a fan. She doesn't really seem to know what she's talking about either. Most of these politicians don't when they talk about money, which is insane because they're the ones that are controlling it. And you think they would do a little bit of their own research in order to make sure that they're um, not going to be harming the people that they're serving. So she's, you know, she's just a politician. She's going to do what she can to get her name out there and gain popularity. She probably wants to write a new bill uh, that limits or controls Bitcoin and name it after herself. I mean, that's just what politicians do. So that's their incentive model, right? Their incentive model is to uh, continue to get their name out there and to continue to to push an agenda that uh, they'll end up getting voted in so that they can say, well, look at all this, look at all these things that I've done. Look at all these great things I've done for you. Keep voting for me and keep donating money to me. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I'd like that she probably wants to put a, 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 make a bill with her name on it. That's, that, that's what they do, man. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, Justin, your take on happyflation. So the first thing is I don't even know how to define inflation anymore. I mean, if we're talking about just straight monetary inflation and adding new base money units, obviously we've seen that continue and it will continue, but our money has become so conflated these days with our debt burden that essentially debt has become our money. So anybody in the world who's holding like a decent amount of dollars is, you know, holding treasuries or holding some sort of money market fund um, that's mostly made up of you know low risk debt and what that's caused is um, 
like in order for us to have inflation, we need further debt expansion because it has become our money. And, you know, this week we saw almost a trillion dollars of reverse repos. And I'm not that well versed on the repo market, but I'm pretty sure reverse repos is when banks give cash to the Fed window in return for assets. So it looks like they're, you know, they have a bunch of cash. They don't know what to do with it. They won't lend it. Um, so I think, you know, if you want to measure CPI as, um, you know, real inflation, I don't know if that's going to go up as fast as people think. But uh, yeah, I, I think we do need to get back to more free market economics. Um, these artificially low interest rates have caused this debt bubble. Um, we've gotten to the point where we're at the lower bound of interest rates, right? I don't think we're going to go negative, but interest rates can't rise because all of our debt will become worthless and we're in a really tough spot. And I don't know how we're going to navigate our way out of it, but I think the Fed is trying to do its best in kicking the can down the road because the alternative is uh, is ugly. They'll go. They'll go negative interest rates. They, they'll be able to do that when they implement Fed coin. Uh, it, it, they've got, they've got some more uh, gunpowder in there, uh, and uh, I, I fully expect some weird uh, negative interest rate uh, paradigm when the uh, the, the uh, Fed coin is uh, given the people for their uh, UBI or you know however it's uh, get, you know, made to look great uh, to the normies out there. So uh, it just with with everything that we just said how horrible inflation is, how the media doesn't care about it, how the government doesn't care about it. Uh, the option is there already for all the people, the 20 percenters, whatever you want to call them out there, uh, to get into Bitcoin. And there's a guy in my comment section said, normies still worry about an exit strategy for Bitcoin when Bitcoin is the exit strategy. So it's, it's out there now. Um, do not value your wealth in fiat, you fiat freaks. Value your wealth in Bitcoin because we just went over all the nonsense that is going on in the uh, government-controlled dollar world. And uh, compete, don't complain. You can cry about it as much as you want to and, and hide in your basement, or you can actually do something and buy Bitcoin. So with that being said, let us – I want to stay I want to stick with Justin here because you said you wanted to talk about uh, – it's the energy FUD section of the show. I mean I, we could have a section of this show every freaking week because the, this is going to be the FUD of this cycle. And the, the media isn't giving it up. Uh, enemies of Bitcoin aren't giving it up. Prominent people who just want to have followers aren't giving it up. But so um, I'll bring up a few topics and you you can choose which one exactly to comment on, Justin. Elon Musk uh, capitul capitulates on Bitcoin, says Tesla will resume Bitcoin payments when mining gets greener. Okay, sure. And uh, I, the, the great uh, Stefan Libera reminds us, more energy use enables human prosperity. Bitcoin is worth it. Now, I agree with that. And also, the Mining Council, we must counter misinformation about Bitcoin's environmental damage. Uh, MicroStrategy CEO Micro, uh, Michael Saylor said, the problem isn't Bitcoiners, but those negative headlines about mining. So uh, should, should we worry about what all the normies say? Should, we, should, should, should there be an organization combating the FUD? Or should we just ignore it? So I just put a lot out there, Justin. You want to talk about energy FUD, so go ahead. So first of all, I love all the FUD. Bring it on. Let's uh, let's get more of it going. <laughs> but 
But um, no, I, th- I think uh, this is part of a, of a larger issue here. I think vict- or Bitcoin's a little bit of a victim of its own success. So on the one hand, um, you know, this is now this year a trillion dollar asset, which means a lot of capital is coming into the space and hopefully will continue to come into the space. But a lot of that capital is from regulated institutions, high net worth individuals, et cetera, et cetera. And I think they have sort of a poor understanding of what they own. I mean, everybody operates under the assumption that Bitcoin is censorship resistant, but I don't think a lot of people have actually thought about what that means. I mean, at the end of the day, we're holding illegal money. And just because it's not illegal yet, uh, you know, people have kind of, you know, this honeymoon phase uh, euphoria with the price going up that like, you know, whatever we can do to keep this party going, we're going to continue to do. But I mean, at some point, if Bitcoin becomes big enough, I mean, it doesn't matter how friendly we are with regulators up until that point. I mean, they're going to turn on us quick. So, you know, I, I don't know any government that is uh, voluntarily given up control of their monopoly on money. And, you know, it, it is kind of a fine line we have to balance between capital pouring into the space and keeping Bitcoin uh, what Bitcoin is. And these narratives are just uh, put in front of the media and, you know, these big head figures are trying to push these narratives just to get uh, friendly uh, reception from people who matter. And at the end of the day, Bitcoin's going to stand on its own merits or it won't. And there's not much in the way of uh, friendly regulations that's going to help that long term. Those are some sobering words from you about the larger picture there, uh, going a, a bit beyond the energy FUD there. I, I, I do want to say specifically with uh, Elon Musk capitulating at, at the start of the week, uh, there, there were people celebrating about that. And uh, I, I wouldn't, again, do, hasn't everybody learned their lesson from this? Like, just forget about the dude, okay? Uh, but do, do, do you think he's, uh, do you think he even knows what he's talking about when he says, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll start selling. Uh, we're we're going to start selling cars uh, for Bitcoin when it gets greener. I mean, it, it just it seems like just total marketing trying to fit into the ESG narrative. Well, it's it's worse than that because Elon, you know, relies heavily on these carbon credits that are circulating. Um, you know, with this new ESG narrative, uh, Tesla has never turned a profitable year since its inception, and without these carbon uh, subsidies, I think they'd be bankrupt by now. So he more than most needs to toe that line between regulators and owning Bitcoin. You know, I, I think uh, he understands Bitcoin maybe more than we give him credit for um, in some ways and maybe less in others. But with this issue specifically, I think his incentives are extremely off. And I don't think this tug of war is necessarily going to end uh, anytime soon. I want to. I want to ask you a question with the mining council too. Uh, should should they should they be worried 
at all, like about painting Bitcoin as green. I think, I think what I would do if I was some prominent uh, figure that uh, swayed a major opinion, or, and, and this is what I do as who I am right now, we don't play by their darn rules. If you start playing in the ESG uh, playground, You've already capitulated in a way. You've already given them legitimacy that their complaints are legitimate. I, I don't go there. Like so, when the mining council is worried and they're and they're or are being that it's even being formed, uh, just shows that this narrative is considered legitimate by many prominent people. And I go out of my way to say just to cut it off at the beginning. This narrative is totally illegitimate. It should not. It shouldn't be a, anyone's concern at all. Uh, but but that's my take on it. Do you think they're legitimizing something that's Ill, illegitimate? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in some way they're trying to sway the public perception of uh, Bitcoin mining, and it's difficult to do because people uh, have a very poor understanding of how energy markets work to begin with. So it's difficult to communicate that. But Bitcoin doesn't waste any amount of energy. Uh, it just consumes wasted energy. And I'm not sure why it matters in what form that energy is being consumed. I mean, it's just being wasted. So we can either waste it or we can use it to mine Bitcoin. So, uh, you know, it's really difficult to distribute electricity in an efficient manner, right, over space and time can't store it and you can't move it. So on off demand times or, you know, in rural areas where you're producing a lot of energy, but there's not a lot of consumption, uh, Bitcoin is coming in and consuming that energy. And I don't see why we need to defend that when, you know, over, I think Michael Saylor said this the other day, like 30% of the world's energy is wasted and Bitcoin is consuming like 1% of that 30% of wasted energy. So, I, you know, I, I don't know how we communicate the message to the masses in a more efficient and positive manner. I'm not sure we need to, yeah. but the, the worry itself is extremely misguided to begin with. Simply said, all you normies out there, the world isn't ending. If we stop using energy, you're going to have to defecate in the woods, okay? Energy is progress, and let, let's keep moving forward instead of, like, trying to go back to the freaking Stone Age, right? All right, Dennis, your, your, your take on everything that we were just uh, talking about here, uh, from, from Elon Musk to, to Energy FUD to the green ESG narrative. No, yeah, I like what Justin was like, one of the main points he made there was so important is that like, either way, this energy is is either getting used or it's not getting used. And uh, if we're going to be complaining about a system that burns energy to create freedom money, um, when that energy would basically go to waste anyways, like, what are we really complaining about? And I just don't really think that we need to in, the, in regards to Michael Saylor and the Mining Council, I, I'm not a big fan of it. I, I was around during the block size wars and spent a lot of time listening to the debate there. The way that that happened was we were, you know, allowed someone to come in with a narrative to say, oh, Bitcoin is for payments. The base layer is, we're using it for payments. And people were kind of like, no, it's not, but it's okay because you're our friend, right? So we're going to let you go ahead and keep going around talking about it. And now you have a same similar situation where that's occurring with Michael Saylor, where he's basically being like, oh, don't worry, I'm still your friend. 
um, but I'm going to support this negative, this bad narrative. Well, guess what? That's exactly how the block size wars happen. You know, and it's almost like we're like going down the same path, and we don't see a lot of people don't see that that it's very, very, very possible that we could end up in a similar situation, especially when you have the most famous, most well loved, wealthy person or billionaire in human history, which is Elon Musk, and then you have arguably one of the most popular Bitcoiners in Bitcoin's history um, through Michael Saylor combining together as a team to to talk in behind closed doors, and now they're doing this like BS like uh, only publicly traded company mining council crap and so I'm, I'm not a fan i don't like it um i think that we have to be really careful when it comes to bending the knee to, to specific narratives around bitcoin and that's how we end up with block size wars so uh, i i don't like it i'm i think elon doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to bitcoin or or maybe he does but he's just beholden to his investors that's kind of where i've gotten to now it's like maybe he he does understand it to some extent but the problem is, is that his incentives are to appease his uh, investors. And so that's what he's been doing so far. Dennis, that, that was incredible. That you, you said so much there. That's the freaking best guest in the space. I bring you on this show. Okay. Did, did everyone catch everything? He made a Roger Ver illusion there. Did everyone get that? <laughs> were you guys around in 2017? No, some of you were. Were you guys paying attention or were you looking at my hair the, the whole time? When you just made, did you guys catch that? First Great of all, hair. it was it was so good of a, a segment that BTC sessions, he was with his beautiful wife up in Canada. He just he just came online in the chat. He, he heard he, it. He had to see this man instead of looking at his beautiful wife to hear this, this, this what he just said. Now let me let me tell you something else. We own this very show, or Adam Meister right here, this dude. I have talked about what you alluded to also, that yes, there will be an ESG fork. They will fork it off. There will We are going down that path. It is obvious. There is going to be a, a non-blood Bitcoin, whatever uh, whatever these people we put on pedestal. Kevin, uh, who was the one? O'Leary. O'Leary mm -hmm. talks about blood Bitcoin. This one talks about green Bitcoin. This one talks about ESG. It's coming. They're going to, and let them do it. Let them do it. Uh, but but you the very I love that allusion to Roger though because he's his, he's our friend we can let him speak and that that was a mistake everybody let Roger go on and even me I let him on the show I learned my lesson the hard way but um yeah we're we're we're, we're de very good points there but this is the thing it, 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 anyone could do anything in this space they're going to be closed do door meetings but you sh people should just be aware uh, that. It's very likely there's there's going to be some type of energy fork uh, coming up coming along something related to this. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, and uh, yeah, very very good segment. Adam uh, Hoddleberry, Adam, whatever you want to call yourself, top that baby. What do you think about all this? The green movement is is like watermelon. It's green on the outside. It's commie pink on the inside, and <laughs> and it's really. The modern environmental movement does not work without the government. There's nothing that Elon, like somebody who said Elon Musk's uh, companies are not profitable without the possible, without inflation, without the federal reserve's monetary policy, people would never vote to tax themselves to do what Elon Musk wants to do, to subsidize other rich people's electric cars, to subsidize idiot missions to Mars. I mean, don't get me wrong. Going to Mars is freaking cool. Sending rockets up into space is really awesome. But that money is coming from us. That money is coming from uh, our hidden tax in inflation. And so show me an environmental guru person like Elon Musk or whoever else 
who's not living in a 10,000 square foot mansion, who's not taking private jets, who's not using the, the time and energy and labor of all the people that, that take care of his grounds and, and, and our butlers and maids and servants for, for them. Same thing with all the, the Congress people, um, even people like Bernie Sanders, he's got three houses and he says, Oh, well, you know, it's just, it's normal to have a, a house in, you know, a summer house in Vermont, whatever. Like it is the fact that all you people that are preaching on uh, environmentalism are using more resources than everybody else. So if you're living in a 1,500 square foot house and you're driving an old car because you don't want to, you know, mine the cobalt out of the ground for the stupid electric vehicles, once you once you are talking or walking the walk, then you can talk the talk. So don't talk to me about about energy uh, usage until you've completely. Uh, downgraded your life to the point where you are living like the rest of us. Very good there. Do you get, before we move on from the energy nonsense, uh, does, does anyone, any of you guys have anything to add to it? Yeah. Right. I just like the, the framing of rules for thee, but not for me. Shout right. out block Bane. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move to the technical side of things. Tat root locked in. What's it mean? Uh, we'll Don't start ask with me, man. <laughs> Justin, Justin, you made up good points about it. It's locked in, but the wallet providers. Uh... Yeah, I, I think it's going to take time. Obviously, um, if all the nodes update before November, we'll uh, we'll upgrade at that point. It'll become active, but I think there is going to be a lag. Uh, you know, for all these providers to to add support for Taproot. I think um, what's more interesting from my level of understanding is the way Taproot was activated. I mean, there was a lot of infighting about BIP9, BIP8, and how we were going to go about this. And then uh, Speedy Trial came along and it was pretty successful, right? It was two or three difficulty adjustments uh, where the miners kind of came together and signaled for Taproot. Uh, there wasn't, you know, uh, a blockchain threatening uh, event that happened. It very may well could have and may, uh, may still happen. But for now, everything has seemed to go through pretty, pretty smoothly. And I'm looking forward to, to a more private, uh, more efficient Bitcoin. All right. So again, people, it it it, it exists, but it is the, the wallets have not uh, implemented it yet, uh, and so be patient. Hoddleberry, you were talking about what you want to do. You, you enjoy the privacy. Uh, or off air, you were talking about the your the privacy aspect of it. I believe that's what we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. And and my coins are be on the move when Taproot when Taproot activates because. I mean, currently there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with Bitcoin. You can do multi-sig, you can, you know, have lightning channels open and close and stuff like that on chain, but, you know, but setting up your, uh, your privacy in such a way that one, one setup looks just like any other setup is so interesting to me and it's saving space on the, the back end. So now you can do, now there's really big incentive to get really super creative with Taproot. So like, for instance, um, 
since since it's going to save so much space on the blockchain and since each transaction is going to look relatively the same um like there is nothing holding you back from creating like outrageous you know 12 of 23 multi-sig setups and having like time lock bitcoin that you can like roll back if something something doesn't you don't like happens in the future i mean it's just so crazy and like all the different things that you can do and i did a tweet thread about some like you know, in, inheritance setups that you could do with like dead man switches where you're, you know, you're hitting a button and, and you can like revert the, the Bitcoin back to yourself. It's, there's so many cool things that happen. And, and regarding the activation aspect of it, I thought that was really interesting. And, and I think that, you know, as, as much as we hate on Twitter for, you know, being censor, censoring certain people and stuff like that, like it real there really is a shelling point to Twitter and the group consensus kind of buzz around taproot activation, you know, you where companies were almost or mining pools were almost shamed into lagging behind or shamed out of lagging behind. And I think when people talk about the toxic the toxicity that exists on Twitter, in my opinion, we're we are are peer pressuring people into doing the right thing. So if we have enough people that are are willing to stand up for what we think is the best thing for Bitcoin. Um, Taproot and, you know, No2x and uh, lots of other things in Bitcoin prevent this uh, crazy Wild West system where, where people are pressuring each other, signaling to each other in a, in a positive way for the, the best thing to happen uh, on Bitcoin. And I, I really I really love that. Like, it, it's almost like when in human history have people agreed like this to to do what is like obje- oh, pretty much objectively the right thing. Like, like two X segwit was probably objectively the wrong thing to have done. A tap root is the right thing to have done. And somehow like we got it done without a problem. It's like almost a miracle that, that we've, we've you peer, peer pressured ourselves into the right thing. It's, I love it. Nice uh, shout out to Twitter there. Yeah, giving Twitter some props there. Yeah. You, it has some pros dudes. Um, all right, I want to remind everyone, speaking of Twitter, all three of these dudes are linked to below. They're Twitter's accounts. So go follow them. Also linked to below is a show I was just on uh, with uh, a, a, a vigilante of, of sorts. He, he's uh, It was Wednesday's show. It was a really good interview. He's kind of a newbie type of person. You, you, you gain some great insights into the newbie mind. It is linked to below. Okay, and always check out the links below. I don't have everything we talked about today, but most of it's down there. All right, so let's – as I as I mentioned b- before, um, all three of these dudes and me, we, we were all in Miami. And so we're going to quickly go over, uh, you know, what, what everybody thought about the situation there. I do want to remind everyone, last week we talked about how the mainstream media in its infinite ignorance, NBC – Bloomberg, somebody tweeted out that uh, they got the virus there. So these major organizations, based on three tweets, uh, started writing super spreader events about the Miami Bitcoin conference, which now is two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we were there. Uh, And as you probably can tell, it was not a super spreader event. And I just, everyone who was at the event, they're familiar with the event and familiar with the FUD that came out last week. How you can still believe the mainstream media about anything they talk about with Bitcoin or anything 
they have a narrative they want to sell. It's a fear narrative. They they see one tweet about it and they make up a huge story about it. They call it a super spreader event based on three tweets. It such fabrication. It, Ten years ago, if you said the media would just make up stories about tweets, huge stories about it, you would say that's that's a, that's not true. How can that happen? It's the the media has lost all uh, mainstream media, at least. I mean, lost all respectability, and this it's just a pure example of it. Trying to vilify what happened in Miami based on three tweets, buying into this super spread. They they have to come up with another super spread. So when you guys have heard about super spreader stories before. You have to think now. They, they're probably all lies because this was nothing. It was it was based on and, and and again the people that were there. What was the average age of the people there? Thirty younger than that. These are people that the, the virus doesn't even affect. So with that being said, it, it was a great event. I love meeting these three dudes in person. First of all, I mean that is my favorite part of the event. And I, I've mentioned this a few times now. Just meeting real people in, in person that I, I'm very familiar with online and. Uh, just seeing so many happy faces, so much positive energy around Bitcoin. So, Dennis, we will uh, we will start with you. What were your highlights? And you could comment on the uh, super spreader FUD if you want to also. Because many, many people believed it. I, I mentioned that family members of mine were worried about the super spreader because they heard about it on NBC. Yeah, um, I had an amazing time. It was my first uh, Bitcoin conference. And I, I had spent like probably 500 plus hours on Clubhouse leading up to that point. So there was quite a few people that I had interacted with that I went to go meet. Every once in a while when you meet people off the internet that you, you, know, you met on the internet and you meet them in real life, you never know what you're going to get. But uh, it, I was thoroughly impressed by everybody that I met there. Uh, Bitcoiners are some of the best people on the planet, some of the smartest people, and I had an amazing time. And I mean, anybody who didn't say said they didn't have a good time obviously just didn't do didn't find their people, right? Because I mean, it's a twelve thousand person event. Pretty much everybody and their mom was going to this event, so uh, I had an amazing time. I was over at the Swan Lounge a lot. Those guys are great, and amazing. Love their team. Um, if you guys are ever gonna uh, buy Bitcoin. Make sure you go to a Bitcoin-only exchange, Swan Bitcoin. So great people over there. Um, but no, yeah, it was it was a great time, and I, I would do it again. Yeah, and it was hot as anything in that tent too, man. That was, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, quite a quite quite a time. Uh, Hoddleberry, you got to uh, meet me in person. Was uh, was I the same energetic guy in person as I am right now? Yeah, you were actually. Um, it was great. I met. I met a lot of people I hadn't met before. I re-met people that I had met before, which was awesome. Uh, there's a few people that I real I missed, and they were there, and I just I, I'm sad I didn't get to to hang out with. But like the the funny thing about the, the this being a super spreader event is, so I spent three days like literally screaming in people's faces like from this far away because there's a lot of a lot of events and sub events and after hour events were like kind of parties and stuff, and my voice was hoarse so hoarse because you were just like screaming because the music was so loud and you were screaming in people's faces. So I, I spent three, four days screaming in other people's faces from this far away. And I bet you, I bet you that this was the largest, least vaccinated event that has happened in the last year. I, I'm almost positive that happened because you look at Indianapolis 500, with which the Bitcoin car was there at, at Miami and at the Indianapolis 500. It was like a hundred and some thousand people. It was like 110,000 people. Did they call that a super spreader event? And plus you had people literally coming in from all corners of the world. I, I met several people who came in from Canada. I met people, came, somebody coming from Jamaica, 
You have people coming from all over the place, taking many, many airplanes to get there, driving in many, many Ubers, hanging out at clubs uh, and bars and stuff like that afterward. And you had very, very few people and any who actually got COVID and the people that did get COVID could have got it from anywhere else. And the multitude of places that were around, around the event, getting on an airplane, being in airports and it's so the, the, the number of people were so minuscule. It's, it's laughable. It, it was laughable that this was the narrative, but this is the type of FUD that we should um, expect. And uh, I think BJ boy apart, boy party said this, once you realize that the mainstream media um, reports inaccurately on things that you're very familiar with, you start to question are, how are they reporting on like literally everything else? Like for instance, like Muammar Gaddafi and like his his death, for instance, I'm like, you know, you know, maybe it really was about him not, you know, joining the IMF or <laughs> or the World Bank. Like, like what what else in the world am I missing? Not to be a conspiracy theory person, but it's like if I, I know because I was there and I saw what was happening, and I know the results afterward, and that it just lies. It's just all lies. What yep. else am I being lied to about? Yes, it is such. It, that, that's why I'm saying for everyone who is at that conference who knows the truth uh, and, and that read these FUD articles, you got to question a lot of things right now, okay? Um, and it's 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 a shame that so many people fall for it. Uh, you know, that, that word super spreader is such a scary word. By the way, I, I should ask Dennis this too. We'll, we'll go back to you. Uh, what do you think about Miami being a Bitcoin city? Are these uh, politicians uh, blowing it out of proportion? Uh, I, I mean, I thought the mayor did a good job. Um, I mean, he's, he's somewhat generic in, in a way. There were two female politicians there that gave speeches. They were horrible. It seemed like they were just writing. They were talking about uh, equity and, and, and Bitcoin and just these buzzwords. But uh, do, do you think Miami can become a Bitcoin city or is it just a, a statist uh, dream there that they're, they're just jumping on this uh, bandwagon to get some uh, money coming in there, which isn't a bad reason. I mean, uh, I think... I think it could. I, I think it could become some sort of an epicenter for it. I, a lot of people are talking about it, and a lot of moves are being made. I think it would be smart if that, if you know, if you want to uh, make Bitcoin or make your city a Bitcoin city. In the long term, you're going to attract capital. You're going to attract uh, very intelligent Bitcoiners to your to your shores. If you have uh, regulations that are friendly to Bitcoiners, I mean, you can see already what's going on in El Salvador with uh, the way that they're making Bitcoin the legal tender law. I mean, people are moving there pretty rapidly. And so it's, I, I don't know if it's going to be true for Miami, but if, if, if you like Bitcoin and you want it to be part of your city, I highly encourage elected officials to, uh, you know, create Bitcoin friendly and to attract what be some of the most wealthiest people in the world to your shores. Uh, uh, Barry, what do you think about, uh, the politicians, Miami and Bitcoin? Yeah, I, I caught like a tiny little part of the of the, one of the female politicians, um, and it was just kind of like platitudes, like whatever. Like, it, uh, I'm I'm okay. I think what ha ends up happening with the politicians is they want to seem cool, and then they get into the altcoins and NFTs and stuff like that. You know, once we once you get people that are are really, <laughs> I t I tweeted out earlier today is like maybe I should just run for Congress on a Bitcoin only platform, just like ending the Fed, abolishing the IRS, returning to sound money, which is Bitcoin. Um, like until you get like that type of politician, I don't really believe. I, I trust them even less than, you know, Roger Ver. <laughs> <laughs> good, 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 good point there. All right. Uh, 
Justin, your uh, your your take on the, what was your favorite parts of the conference, and uh, what about Miami? So I think the the most interesting part about Miami as a crypto or Bitcoin hub uh, was you know the economic impact of this conference and Miami really being able to seize those revenue dollars. Um, you know, with being open for COVID reasons and uh, welcoming to the Bitcoin community. I mean, this thing was scheduled uh, originally in San Francisco and then moved to LA. And the conference organizers uh, were worried about the regulatory environment in California. And Miami seemed to, to really snatch that opportunity. I mean, between uh, Bitcoin conference and uh, you know, all the surrounding events, I think they, they drew like 50,000 people to the city. And I don't know about you guys, but I ended up spending a good amount of money uh, around town, bars, restaurants, uh, some people, you know, hotels and Airbnbs and all that. And, you know, Bitcoin 2022 is already uh, signed up for the same place. So Miami came out on top uh, in that sense. But uh, conference-specific thoughts, uh, my main takeaway was that, you know, Bitcoin's in a great spot. I mean, we're all kind of relying on each other's conviction for this thing to ultimately make it. And uh, all I saw were strong hands everywhere. I mean, everyone everyone understands Bitcoin, uh, is ride or die for Bitcoin, and that was an awesome thing to see. Um, and my other takeaway was like Dennis, this was my first like large Bitcoin convention and it was kind of like a family reunion. You know, our, our morals and our ideals are so tightly knit that like you can pick up a conversation. You know, I met, you know, Jeff Booth and John Vallis, like some of my favorite content producers. And I met a bunch of random plebs and the conversations you have with both of them are just, you know, so free flowing, uh, you know, it's, you kind of skip the formalities cause everyone's so familiar with each other. And it's just like a great, great time. Uh, great to meet all the Bitcoiners and, uh, you know, I think I really found my people. <laughs> all right. I, I like that. And I want to, I want to add something here. My, I lost my voice that uh, first day too. It was destroyed on Friday night. My voice, I was able to recover some of it on Saturday, but my, my Lord, it, it was, it was great uh, yelling and, and speaking to everybody over the crowd. And uh, yeah, it, it, it'll go down in history. I, I'm glad they re-signed with Miami and yeah, totally California's loss, totally California's loss. A, a great point on your part. Okay. We've gotten to the end of the show here. And uh, it's time for these guys to talk about what they're doing um, and any any news that they want to share, any stories that were big that they thought they left out uh, that was that left out. We'll we'll start uh, we'll start with Hoddleberry. No, I think I've told some people starting to leak out on Twitter. I, I I've been working for the government for the last 16, 17 years of my life. Um, not in a spook type of agency, though. Just so you know. Um, of course, a spook would say that. But so I, I finally quit my government job. <clears throat> and so now I'm, I'm in the private sector and I'm ridiculously happy with that situation. Um, 
it's like I'm I'm finally free, kind of, so that my my calling and my my um, vocation matches my convictions. Before I was like the the Ron Swanson of the federal government, but now I'm I'm kind of I'm done. So I'm I'm super excited about what's going on in my life, just from a personal work perspective. And I've never felt better about Bitcoin. Never felt better about the community. I, I kept the day the day I came back from Miami is when I put in my notice. Um, it was it was kind of really sweet to be able to do that. So very happy. That's awesome. You left that government job. Conviction, baby. You, you made it through the government and you, you, your, your private industry. Great. Step one, so you'll be working for your – you won't have a job soon. You'll just be living off the Bitcoin. Oh, you'll be for, for your own business. Your own well, business. Bitcoin definitely helped helped with that decision, you know, because I, I have so much confidence in what's going to happen in the next four years that um, I'm I'm okay. I'll be, I'll be just fine. Thank you. So awesome. All right, Dennis, uh, tell us about the, uh, your podcast and everything and anything else you want to talk about. Yeah. So I, like I said, I did the 500 hours on clubhouse, uh, as a degenerate clubhouser and uh, a bunch of people kept telling me to start a podcast. So I ended up doing that. been having a really, really amazing time having some incredible guests on the podcast is called smart people shit. And I've had guys on like Jimmy song, uh, Corey Clipston, founder of Swan Bitcoin, um, let's see a bunch of other people. I had Bradley Rettler and Craig Warmke on a couple of Bitcoin philosophers. So basically the, the show in itself covers, I mean, it's called Smart people shit. So that should tell you a little bit about the show, but I also do health and wellness stuff as well, because, uh, through my personal journey with my own health, um, I've struggled and found some things that work really well. So I, I don't, I tell this to a lot of people, but I'm very, I'm epileptic. So, and I've had a lot of things along the way that have helped me figure out how to improve my health. And so I try to have on really interesting guests in the health world as well. But um, yeah, check the show out. It's on all the platforms, all the things. And um, I look forward to having some more guests on. I, I lined up a lot of great people from being able to go to Miami. So I'm looking forward to getting back at it. Uh, so with, with the health, I, I love uh, to hear about health all the time. And I, I, I give you uh, props for talking about it. You're, you're beyond mainstream health, right, too. Like yeah. when you're trying, trying new or not dangerous. You know I mean, beyond the mainstream narrative is like take yeah. a pill, take a shot. I mean, it's like exactly. it's not preventative stuff at all out there. So uh, I'm Yeah, so I have, for instance, like my with my epilepsy, I don't I got off medication a long time ago and I, because I, I found this guy who does physical therapy for brain disorders, so he can do anything from epilepsy to Tourette's, uh, traumatic brain injury. So he's a, a pretty amazing guy. But I'm going to be, be bringing him on the show as well. But no pills, no medications, all outside the Western medicine system. Wow, wow, what an I, I'm I'm learning stuff here. So guys, de definitely check that one out. Awesome, thank you, Dennis, for uh, for being here, making your debut. It was legendary. That uh, that one segment when you alluded to Roger Bear. Woo, baby! All right, woo, like Ric Flair. All right, Justin, we'll leave it with you. You'll have the final words. Well, first off, congratulations to Hoddleberry and Dennis on uh, your new endeavors. Uh, very exciting. Uh, I don't really have anything to shill here or any last thoughts. Um, I run a small uh, little podcast called Bitcoin for Mom, where I uh, explain the topics in and around Bitcoin to my mom for my family and friends. Uh, there's some interesting episodes if you want to go check it out, but the majority of it I don't think is uh, content for this crowd. But uh, Adam, thanks for having me on. Had a great time and uh, strong hands, man. Well, we were on together on a Christian's uh, show, uh, the BTC Magazine show, a few, I don't know, weeks ago, months ago. I don't know, I'm losing track of time. But I love that idea. Bitcoin for mom 
is is it's what it's all about because at the beginning of the internet moms didn't know how to use the internet moms could and now mom, all moms can do it and you're that that's the right path to go on so i i commend you for starting something like that i do want to return to dennis real quick you 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 had you loved clubhouse obviously mm. is this twitter space gonna overtake it <laughs> uh and and how <laughs> How and can, do you get bored with Clubhouse sometimes? Because some of it is uh, there's certain times I like it, sometimes I don't, to say the least. <laughs> um, yeah, so I I like Spaces. I've been spending a lot of times on time on Spaces. I think it's really really great for. Um, I mean, if you're a, if you're into that sort of thing, growing your audience, but um, it, it's just great because you know it's easy for people to connect to the work that you're doing on if you have anything you're doing on Twitter. Whereas like on Clubhouse, you kind of have to leave the app in order to connect with people, and there's no there's no um, DMs or chat function on Clubhouse, so it's a limiting factor on on there as well. Um, it's very ephemeral, so it like it's just in the moment, so everything you say and you do is kind of lost after the point. So I, I, I spent a lot of time on there speaking and I wouldn't take it back and I still do, do spend time on there, but I've been actually exploring a lot with spaces and, and what its potential is. It's actually an inferior product when it comes to the, um, the, the actual functionality of it as uh, in and of itself, the clubhouse app, the, the audio is much better and it doesn't crash nearly as often, but I've been playing around with spaces. I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, now you even have, green room from Spotify that came in, they just launched. So there's, there's like an infinite amount of these, uh, audio only, uh, platforms now. And so I'm just curious to kind of see how it all plays out. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun experimentation stage where the creators that get on and decide to work with those apps benefit the most because they were there early. So that happened with me with clubhouse. And, um, I'm just really grateful that the app even existed in the first place. All right, we got a little social media perspective there. Wanna, yeah, put it all out there for everyone. We, we'll see if the big uh, behemoth uh, Twitter will destroy uh, the startup, uh, the startup clubhouse. If they'll come up, I mean, it seems like they'll probably be able to if they come up with a better product. All right, dudes, that is the end of this week in Bitcoin show. You know, you can come here every Friday. Next Friday, I will be in San Diego. I'm leaving uh, the home of the Orioles here. And going to San Diego, uh, and it is health related too. We'll talk about that. I've, I'm going to an awesome health place that uh, it's going to do all these awesome tests on me. I always forget the, the name of it, but I've mentioned it on the show before. Anyway, so the show will be at 2 p.m. East Coast time next week, uh, most likely. But thank you, guest. You rocked it. I'm Adam Meister, Bitcoin Meister, the Rut Meister. Pound that like button. Follow me on Twitter, T E C H B A L T. Subscribe to the channel if you want to, whatever. And of course, Shabbat Shalom. Uh, we will, I will see you soon. Thank you, everyone. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. All right. Hang on. And.